You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. My name is Tracy. You can follow me on Twitter at Lady Leap, and I have two really awesome guests today. We have Nate Hunsaker and we have Philip Spies, and they're going to be joining us to talk about what's new and exciting in React. So first off, let me go ahead and introduce Nate. Nate is a development director at Vigit, and he also works on a lot of uh, JavaScript and Android applications. You can follow Nate on Twitter at nhunziker, that's H-N as in Nancy, or N as in Nate, actually, (laughs) H-U-N-Z-A-K-E-R. And then we also have Philip Spies, and he is the uh, lead developer at PSP, PSPDF kit and creator of a newsletter that you all probably have heard of before, which is This Week in React. So thanks everybody and welcome for, uh, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. Yes. So there has been a ton of movement in React. I think we're all used to that being in the JavaScript ecosystem. There's always something new happening, always a rewrite happening. Always something magical. Um, yeah. But, you know, Hooks. Hooks has been on our mind for a few months now. Um, maybe you guys can just explain what Hooks is for people who haven't heard of it before. Yeah. So, uh, Hooks are a new feature in React. Uh, they were announced at React Conf uh, 2018. Um, but I think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Philippe, but I think they've only been around for about a month now in the wild. Yeah, not much longer. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they just they provide an alternate way to describe components um, using more of a functional style, and um, overall, like using them on projects, I found that they make writing components um, to be much more uh, concise and clear. And uh, there's some things around them to improve composition. Um, that both make hooks uh, really easy to reuse across uh, projects and components, uh, and also very easy to think about. Uh, I, I think there's some confusion around uh, some finer points of the API and hooks, and the React team has really been busy clarifying things on the issue boards and through uh, Twitter and other social media channels. Um, but overall, uh, to me, they represent a really great way to move forward writing components in a very concise, clear way. Uh, uh, Philip, would you have anything to add there? No, not really. I mean, for me, when I when I first read through the official documentations, I was I was a little bit confused. Uh, but then, like, there was this example of how you can combine hooks to create your own custom hooks, and that was just like completely blow my mind. You can just, in, if you compare it to the previous version where you have class components, you would have uh, code scattered around between the different life cycles. You would have. Um, like componented mount, you, you register something, and then on componented unmount, you would clean it up again. And with hooks, this is just like in one line. You can do it with the same function, basically, in this case, the use effect hook. And seeing how this can be composed together is just mind-blowing. Yeah, there have been a handful of uh, times internally at Viget where I've seen pull requests that use hooks. And uh, it's really awesome to see the kinds of changes that are happening with them. Um, we're starting to see like there's a there's kind of like a hooks layer in some cases where people can 
operate on and make uh, state changes faster or better or more concise or clear. And um, it's awesome to see that that's not necessarily happening just in components. So I, I think like seeing pull requests come in, I'd see uh, changes where uh, a whole bunch of uh, state management code was inside of a bunch of lifecycle methods, or there was like, like a refactor to pull all that out of lifecycle methods into something else. And um, I'm not seeing that with hooks. And uh, it's it's been really great to see sort of this this hooks layer emerge on uh, our React apps, uh, and I'm really excited to figure out what that means and uh, see sort of the abstractions around that start to build up over time in the community. There's a cool project I want to quickly point out here. It's called usehooks.com uh, from from Gabe Ragband, where um, Gabe basically makes a few of those custom hooks to show off how they work, and it's really cool. Like just looking over it, seeing what you can what can be built with hooks, it's really awesome. Yeah, that's a really amazing uh, website too, usehooks.com. Um, yeah, it's it's sorry, I'm good. I mean, would you would you say that people should start refactoring their applications to use hooks now? Oh, that's that's a really difficult question. To answer. <laughs> uh, I mean, rewriting code is rewriting code, right? Like like doing a refactor to hooks. Uh, if you don't have a uh, like a really compelling reason to do it, is like uh, rewriting code just to make it look nicer. Um, and, and there could be good things about that, especially if you're using hooks in other parts of your application and you want to sort of reconcile the differences between the two. Uh, that can be a really good reason to uh, consider reworking some components. Um, does it does it um, increase any level of performance because of the the less use of code at all, or anything internally? That that's a good question. Uh, there are some. Um, hooks is the wrong word for it. There are there are some parts of the API that mm -hmm. uh, enable memoization, um, especially for things like uh, use effect. Use effect is a hook um, that um, sort of describes the uh, lifecycle of a React component, like the React did mount, um, React will sorry, a React component did update, um, component will unmount. Um, it, it does that in a really concise way, but it's like describing a like a function inside of a function. Um, and that can get called every time if you're not careful um, with, with sort of what you're doing with the API. But by adding like a second argument to the hook to provide sort of dependencies to control when it should update or when it should change, um, you can, I think, more elegantly do um, some code to uh, prevent things from happening more than they need to. Um, whereas before, like in a React, in, in some of the React uh, component lifecycle methods, you'd have to like check prior state and compare it to new state. Um, and sort of that was cumbersome enough that I think it um, made it less desirable to add uh, performance um, countermeasures, I guess, or, or optimizations, I should say, um, up front. Um, but it's sort of, I think, part of the API of hooks uh, lends itself better to minimalization and uh, preventing duplicate work. So uh, anecdotally, I, I'm curious to see what the overall performance impl implication is on a large project. Um, and uh, I'm really curious to see uh, what things like um, how adding things like memoization and uh, other things uh, to even just like very small use cases sort of builds up over time to making faster applications. That's interesting. So it sounds like that the React team is not really saying, hey, this is, you know, for all the lovely upgrades we do on versioning, this is not like a, hey, you should really be refactoring your application to use hooks as you're upgrading to React, you know, 
x.x or anything like that. It's kind of more of like a nice to have, or is this now the recommended way to do it? Um, and then my second question would be, have we seen instructors, maybe like Michael Jackson from React Training, for example, um, start to upgrade, update their trainings to teach people hooks as they're learning React? So I guess for the, for the first question, hooks is definitely something that is optional at the moment. It's also in the in the in the official documentation. It's not on the web and the, on the landing page yet. It's a different section. That is because all of the projects out there in React they are full of class components and they will keep using class components for the next next few months and even or even years. Also, if you if you see like how. Facebook is handling the situation. They have a couple of thousand components, and most of them are class components, and they also will, will keep supporting them. So I don't think it's like the recommended approach to, to rewrite anything at the moment. But um, I think the, the core team encourages people to take a look at hooks if they like have some time for that, play around with it, and maybe start for, start it for new things. I think that's like a good way to introducing it. And then at some point, yeah, maybe you can work more on it. And if you're like really comfortable with this pattern, you can, when you refactor a component, maybe rewrite it with hooks. And regarding the instructors, I actually don't know for sure, but I have seen lots of resources online for hooks. Um, I also know that the React Core team did experiments with the new documentation, especially with uh, people that ha have started learning React. And it seems like um, hooks are easy to get into, even easier than class components, or maybe on the same level, because you don't have to learn about this in JavaScript, which we all know can be quite confusing at some time, at some point. So yeah, I think we will see more and more of that as well. I would definitely like if I learn React now, I would still like there's no way to don't learn class components. Yeah, I think learning class components is really important to understand sort of what hooks are doing for particular things like use effect. Um, the hooks API is, is very much like a JavaScript API uh, versus the class component API, which is like more of an invented API. Like it has like names given to things. It has lifecycle method names like uh, component did update and stuff like that. So I, I think it's important to know that stuff so that as you're using hooks, you know, really kind of what is, what is the mapping of this, uh, of the new hooks API to what existed prior. But um, I'm, it's, it's been curious to see too. I, I saw some uh, discussion on Twitter about whether hooks were easier to learn than the class API. And uh, it, it sounds like it's still up for debate on Twitter, um, especially for people that have used the uh, class component API for years. Um, I think that they have different things to say. So I'll be really curious to see, uh, especially from people doing training, what they find as they're teaching people hooks for the first time. Um, and that's sort of their entryway into uh, how React works. That's really interesting. It's kind of like a, you know, a few years ago. At least I remember when I was um, learning JavaScript, and I was already using uh, ES modules, and a lot of you know th that that was what I learned, right? Like that was standard de facto. That's how you do it. And um, I was talking to some of my friends who have been, you know more involved in the JavaScript universe. It had been developing for many years. And they, they were still kind of like, oh, this is not something we really use. So it's it's really curious as new people are entering the JavaScript ecosystem, you know, things like async await and things like that, or hooks, all of a sudden these are becoming the standard de facto 
And, you know, new developers are kind of understanding these newer technologies even quicker and adopting them even quicker than uh, developers who have been developing for many years. I find that quite intriguing. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that happens often with the like, mind shift from a mental model and the hooks mental model is quite different from class components. So if you like already learned some of them, like the, the class way, it might not be as intuitive as if you start like with a fresh mind with like a blank page. Yeah, it, it's a great reminder too, especially for those of us that have been in the community for a while that um, older things aren't necessarily easier to learn because they've been around for a while. And I'm reminded of um, working with people that have never never used promises before uh, and sort of picking up asynchronous code in JavaScript. Um, like chaining then callbacks doesn't make any sense, but like saying this is an asynchronous function and I wanna await for this to happen. And if it fails, it throws an error just like regular JavaScript and stuff like that. Um, that, that ends up being much clearer to them, um, in a way where like, I was sort of hesitant to just start using async await on a project and, uh, but they didn't have sort of the baggage or the background, uh, to say like, no, I should use promises instead. Cause that's what I understand. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really excited to see it. And uh, I, I think the same thing is going to be true for hooks too. So, uh, I'm really excited to see, um, what people do with hooks next. Cool. Well, definitely check out Hooks. You can go to usehooks.com, as Nate and Philip have mentioned. Um, and uh, Michael Jackson, actually, on this .javascript state of frameworks and libraries, gave a really good update on what's coming up and talked a little bit about Hooks and everything. So you can check that out as well. Um, but next up, what else is going on in the React world? So there's an interesting property about Hooks. There is this new thing called useEffect. And compared to previous um, ways in React, it would run a function and make the effect after the next render. So when you're testing your code and you would like have in, in chest or whatever your JavaScript test runner is, you would just render this component. You would realize that when you make assertions, this effect wasn't run yet. So to solve this, a new, a new helper was introduced. It's called act. And I think it, it's, still quite new and like we're we're still adopting at this as a community uh, the, the general idea is that you wrap everything that kind of updates your react trees for example your react dom.render calls you're wrapping this around an act function and then react can make sure that all of the effects are flushed um, or like all of the effects are triggered before you can make your test assertions and it has been really confusing a bit like this this act synchronous api and that's why i'm super excited that this week um, the await act syntax was merged, so that allows you to to basically wrap the like the callback, uh, the act callback in an async function, and you could do like async callbacks in there as well. And React will still make sure that all of the effect, the the effects are flushed. So that's really cool. I think we're gonna see some documentation about this in the next few weeks, as we are like this has already uh, only been merged this week. There's an alpha release out at the moment, and um, it will be part of the next minor release. But it's really cool. Yeah, I, I think documentation is the big key thing and community awareness. Um, Act really uh, snuck past me in a way. Sort of, I had a I had a project and I was working on it and um, just using like Enzyme with React 16, and I wasn't using hooks yet or anything. And uh, sort of the pain point wasn't clear to me. So I think um, APIs like Act that do like solve very real problems for people, even if that problem isn't necessarily visible. Uh, to every developer, 
uh, it'll be really important in documentation and in sort of community awareness to uh, talk about the value of those things and why you should use them and um, sort of what, what purpose they have in the API. Um, and I, I guess that brings us to another point too, which I think is super cool, uh, which is uh, that Rachel Neighbors is joining the React core team to uh, work on docs, uh, demos, and tending to the community. Um, and I'm really excited about this. Uh, I know Rachel Neighbors personally. We used to work with each other a few years ago. And uh, she's, she's an awesome person. Yeah, she's just the best. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see um, where she takes the React project. Um, and I think I'm she's in a really so awesome happy. Team. Yeah, because this yeah. is also very interesting because this is kind of the first time that well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that this is the first time that React has actually said, hey, let's hire somebody to actually focus on community, to focus on, I mean, I think they've done stuff with docs before, but the fact that the, she's gonna be able to help facilitate some community stuff is amazing. Yeah, I know like a lot of that has fallen on uh, Dan and the rest of the core team to sort of right. make sure to clarify things, especially around some confusing things like the state of the scheduler and concurrent React and some other stuff. So uh, having someone that can focus just on that, I think is gonna be really great and uh, will be a way for the community to continue to grow uh, even more than it already has. She's the best. And you can actually follow her on Twitter at Rachel Neighbors. That's Rachel N-A-B-O-R-S. She's awesome. And um, I'm sure she'll be super happy to, to see you guys pop up, especially if you have any questions. Well, actually, I don't know if she's, has she started yet? <laughs> I don't know. She's, she's tweeted about it. So yeah, I don't well, know when she's actually, you know, I think she starts in May, like this oh, one, okay. one more month. Okay, well, you can start tweeting her now and asking her questions um, about, you know, uh, questions if you have questions about React. I'm sure she'd be happy to answer them or redirect. Um, well, I mean, next up, should we talk about uh, the new code splitting stuff in React, like the React Lazy and React Suspense? You guys want to get in there? Yeah, uh, so React.lazy is mm -hmm. a API for uh, accommodating lazy loading of components. Um, what I found personally is that uh, code splitting is really like the single most important thing that you can do for a JavaScript application in terms of performance. Um, there's like targeted things that you can do, but just serving less code to a user and controlling how much code you roll out to a user, um, that's particularly valuable on a really large application where you might have uh, like, a, like we work on a lot of content management systems and we use React to build those tools. So uh, lazy loading like a rich text, loading like a rich text editor is really important because it means that we're not potentially pulling in like 200 kilobytes or three or more of uh, JavaScript um, on every page uh, just to uh, to do nothing with it. So um, I, I think it's, it's super exciting to see it baked in to React. And I know that sort of the plan for it is to uh, fit things like React Lazy into um, other features like React Suspense uh, so that you can sort of like lazy load a feature and it'll bake into the same APIs as uh, like the suspense placeholders and uh, other loading state stuff for React. Um, Philip, do you have anything to add there? Not really. I didn't really have the chance to use it yet, but I'm super excited looking forward to it. It, it works like with the current approach of code splitting. There's this, this I think it's called import, this mm -hmm. keyword that returns a promise and it will load a module on demand and then like when the model is loaded the promise will resolve and you can just like wrap your import with a react lazy and then use it as a regular react component so really exciting api 
Yeah, and, and sorry, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, I know some, you know, with, with all the new features, right? A lot of people are just kind of thinking, okay, when do I start this? When do I start that? Um, and I think some people are actually waiting for React Suspense before they start learning React hooks. Any thoughts on that? It doesn't help that it, that React Concurrent React is out there yet. Um, so um, Concurrent React, just for those that don't know about it, is basically the, the thing that has been in our heads since, I think, the int introduction of the uh, React Fiber algorithm. So uh, right now, when you ever, whenever you trigger an update in React, whenever you trigger a state change, React will perform all of their um, operations synchronously. And with concurrent mode, and the React scheduler itself can pause, wheel to the main thread, so you can like do other stuff as well, like updating user interactions or animations, and then continue working on your React app. And that's a super huge mind shift, and that's probably also why why. The direct core team is still working on like thinking about how they communicate this and also like even getting it ready. And what this would allow, so so if, if you haven't seen it, I think it's uh, um, Dan Abramov had a presentation about this last year in uh, JSConf Iceland. And he talks about, uh, so, um, no, I forgot the name of the feature. He talks about basically code loading in concurrent react um, as well as time slicing there and you should really check it out to see kind of the, the ultimate goal of react here and yeah i think i think having having uh, to wait for at least a way to properly load data is doesn't really help a lot like with hook adoption because right now when you have a class component for example and you would need to load some data it would be like at same level of, of how you do it in with hooks. You would just at some point fetch the data from your backend. And with uh, the new data loading API, I still haven't remembered the name, you would just be able to like declare it as a dependency in your render function, which would completely revolutionize or like restructure how we think about data loading. And that's super exciting. Yeah, overall, I, I think what I found is that um seeing the demos and seeing some of the talks that the core team has prepared. Um, asynchronous stuff in UI programming, it's it's not just about data. It's not just about um, like, like pulling down information from an API. Um, that also covers things like we mentioned before with code. It's, we're, we're not building applications for the desktop. We don't install a 50 megabyte um, app bundle. Um, so you have to incrementally load content over time and some of that content comes from your API and some of that content comes from your application. And so um, for me, I think that's a really cool thing about the Suspense API is that it um, sort of it covers all of those use cases and provides uh, an API to developers like me um, to handle the states in between the ideal states. So if you're uh, loading in maybe a user's profile information, uh, there's a lot of state there just to get to that point. You've got to pull in information from your API. You have to maybe, um, if you're, if you're doing any image processing locally to like grayscale or something or something like that, maybe you're pulling in a library for that uh, in real time. Um, and that takes time to get down from the internet. And uh, especially on mobile phones, having a good experience to, to let a user know that everything's working fine. It's just not, we're not quite there yet. Um, that's a really crucial thing for user experience. And so having primitives like this in React is really exciting for me.
Well, awesome. So what else is going on? I mean, there's just so much we could go on and on forever. We could probably do like a four hour conversation just on what is new in React. Um, so I'm, I'm going to bring up a new topic here, um, mm -hmm. React Fire. Yeah. And it's especially interesting for Nate and me because we are both uh, in the React DOM team and we work with the browser stuff a lot of times. And so React Fire is this idea of rewriting parts of the React DOM integration so that it requires less polyfills and is like just more modern in terms of a, a DOM framework. So there are different parts involved. Um, the one is like probably one of the biggest parts is the event polyfill system. It should Right now, there are like polyfills, for example, for the on input handler, and they work across a lot of different browsers. I think up down to IE nine, and so like making changes there is really uh, hard, hard because there's a lot of programs or a lot of applications that depend on the current behavior, even though it's sometimes a little maybe not not the same that the, the behavior you would expect, but it's it's something like that people have started depending on over the years. So with React Fire, and there's no timeline yet or um, at all when this will launch. And um, the idea is to have a breaking change and like making making some of those changes so that we can move React forward in in kind of a DOM perspective. So that might mean like removing some of the event polyfills and drastically simplifying the event system. It also might mean um, and that's something I think where Renate can talk more about the input and change handle and stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I think for, for those not familiar with the background of this, uh, there are a lot of decisions that React has made. Um, just because React is, is a, a project that has been around uh, for a long time. It's been used at Facebook uh, for, oh, I don't even know how long. Um, but certainly uh, around the IE7 and IE, uh, sorry, IE8 days, um, which were about around the time that I started getting into the project. Uh, and I was really impressed that uh, React supported IE7 and IE8 at the time. Um, that was, I think, four or five years ago. And uh, those just aren't constraints that we have anymore. And a lot of React's design decisions are based around supporting a world uh, that includes IE7 and IE8. Um, so we see this with things like the on-change and on-input uh, differences. So usually, like in, regular in the regular browser environment without React, um, on-input, changes like as a user is inputting something into a text box. So as you're like typing into a text inbox, uh, it's, it's sending out an event every single time or if you, um, but that also covers other things too, like if you paste and some other stuff. Um, so it's a much higher, I, I guess, fidelity um, input event for inputs um, versus on change, uh, which fires like on, on blur. Um, that's, that's a problem for, the idea of controlled inputs in React, where you're sort of like, every time you make a text change to a text input or something, it fires an event, you set some sort of internal state in React, and that gets put into uh, the input again. Um, and then the, the basic idea there is sort of to move the state from being under the control of a form input um, to putting it into React. So sort of React is your single source of truth. Um, achieving that feature, um, it's like the biggest motivation around why on change is not standard in React. Uh, but we don't have to do that anymore. Uh, we have events like on input. Um, so it's not necessary for React to sort of patch over uh, differences in the browser. Uh, but there's a lot of code out there that depends on on change working exactly the way that it's always worked for years in React. And so um, 
these sorts of things are, are API decisions that uh, we just finally want to make uh, for a version of React so that we can work closer to how the browser actually works. And um, in the process of doing that, trim up some code, maybe not polyfill things quite as much, and then, but also think critically about the way that we're doing things in React DOM um, so that we can uh, lean out a lot of the pieces that maybe aren't necessary anymore um, and make some compromises um, on sort of the prior API decisions that we've made uh, for the sake of uh, moving forward with like a smaller uh, React DOM implementation. So yeah, so uh, the on change and on input uh, event handler is one example of that. Um, there are uh, some other ones too. So I know um, one, of, one of the big things that um, we're talking about now is the lack of passive event support in React. Um, so that's another thing that um, I, I don't know how much of that will be wrapped up in React Fire, but that's definitely something on the roadmap to figure out is um, sort of whenever the React event system was designed in the first place, um, there were just uh, captured events and bubbled events in React. Um, but there's a lot other uh, stuff that you, there's a lot of other things that you can do with events now. Uh, so uh, I, certainly one of the things that uh, I'm interested to see is how does the API for events um, change or uh, how, do, how do we add additional things to it to support those new events? Um, so that if you want to do something like a passive scroll event versus an unpassive scroll event um, or wheel event or something like that, um, you can do that in React and it's sort of baked into the API and it's not something you have to add later. And, um, you know, I'm sure people have opinions as we all have opinions about how mm -hmm. things are implemented in JavaScript. Uh, so is there an issue that people can comment on or kind of see where this is happening? Uh, are there meetings maybe they can join? to chat about this? I think the best place to start is probably uh, Dan Abramov's uh, post about the roadmap for React Fire. Um, beyond that, there's a handful of really interesting PRs that have come through um, by uh, Dominic Ganaway, uh, working through and sussing out some features with the event system. Mm -hmm. um, just following along with that on the uh, issue board um, is a real interesting way to keep up with that. and. Uh, if, if you don't want to follow it day by day, uh, Philippe has a really great uh, weekly email uh, where he sort of really does a good job of diving through all those changes and talks about them and gives them lip service. So it's definitely worth checking out. I love that. So, um, Philip, it's kind of like the React gossip column, right? <laughs> you know, some people follow Kim Kardashian, but you can follow what's happening in React and the latest news. Yeah, it's amazing. A lot of people, a lot of people <laughs> like it, apparently. I, I just, I don't know, I, I got into this in somehow kind of, I was I was subscribed to the React repository and was seeing all the th stuff that is going on. And I thought, what could I do with all of this information? And I remember for, from other frameworks, like from Ruby on Rails, there were these weekly newsletters that basically covered everything that was developed. And I don't think there's anything like this for React. So yeah, I made it. And I've been doing it, I think, for 24 weeks now. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. It's so it's so much to contribute to the community and your time is so precious. So I know everyone appreciates it. Um, anything else we want to talk about for React Fiber? Fi React Fiber. Google Fiber, React Fire. Anyways, React Fire before we move on to the next topic. Not really, no. I think um, okay. a lot of things is still in the air. 
like mm -hmm. the, the exact features will still be lined out as well as a, like ex exact timeline. But yeah, the general idea, I think we conveyed that very well. Love it. Awesome. So um, any dev tool updates? Yeah, for sure. So Brian Vaughn uh, is busy all the time making really awesome stuff for React. Uh, just like following his Twitter feed, like if you just go to his account and see the, like the videos that he's recording and sending out, um, there's some really impressive stuff uh, that he's working on for uh, both profiling and uh, troubleshooting, uh, rendering in React and profiling React. Um, beyond that, uh, there's been some new additions uh, recently. There's a React Warn and a React Error uh, API, and uh, so these are these are functions that exist on the React namespace. Um, and uh, so just, just reading through the pull request for it, um, sort of mo the motivation behind this is that uh, library authors um, often want to like log out a warning or an error. Uh, React has a really good convention of trying to error or not error, but warn uh, very liberally in development mode uh, to make sure that you're using it correctly. And um, that's sort of set an expectation in, in the community around um, like what tools should do to help developers write good code. So um, react.warn and react.error um, are um, some new things that have landed. I think it looks like it landed 15 days ago. So I'm not really sure what the state of it is in React itself. Um, but the basic idea of this is to provide uh, better tools to tool authors um, to fit uh, deeper into sort of the React tool chain and um, provide like a common answer for things like this. So I, I think it's pretty cool to see. Um, beyond that, uh, Philippe, do you have anything um, to update on tooling? Nothing comes to my mind at the moment. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the short of it is that uh, the stuff that Brian's been working on is is really awesome, um, and it's making it really, really great to uh, work on React apps. Um, I sort of I went to uh, the Android community and loved sort of all the tooling that I got there. Whenever I came back, um, I was really, really excited to see all the new stuff that uh, he'd been working on, and, and in a pretty short time too. Yeah, there's even like just remembered it that Brian is working on a rewrite of the React Dev Tools itself to make it more performant. And like just following along with this progress is just incredible how much uh, there is. I think I just saw some tweet the other day, like this week, that now it will, uh, that React DevTools can make screenshots of your app mm -hmm. while it's like making changes, which is impressive. Yeah, the, the tweet I think you're referring to, there's like, he's like stepping through and you can like see like a screenshot timeline, just like if you like use the performance tab in the browser, it's like a very similar thing where you can step through and you can see like, What's going on here? Like, I see a spike. Like, all right, what's what's happening on the screen at that point in time? So, uh, it's very very exciting. Awesome, yeah. So, one thing that I love about, uh, I think, just in general, I, you know, it, it's like we always have these conversations about documentation and improving documentation. And I know there's a big documentation localization effort happening in React. So, are there any updates on that? Well, that, that is, I think, the most impressive project of the of the year so far, because I think it was completely managed by the community. We have um, started working on 28 localizations. That's quite a lot. And all of that community managed. So eight of those translations are out there and complete and ready. Six others are already out as well, but not 100% complete. And as I said, 28 are being worked on. So if you want to see the official React documentation in your in your language, um, go to the React website, hit the Languages tab, and you can just start helping out. And I think this is really cool. So I'm my native language, uh, my first language is German. I've looked uh, 
at the German translation repository. And I think the level of, of, of professionalism in this repository just completely blew my mind. With my skills, like with my non-technical German, I was not even able to follow um, along. And I think it's it's really cool. So if for people that 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 needs to start with React now and maybe not are not fluent in English, this will be like a huge improvement. And speaking for myself, I have learned uh, programming as well within non when I was not like very good in English yet. So that was just enabled definitely the career for me and seeing this happening with React, I think at least for me personally, I think it feels like the, the best thing that happens this year so far. Okay, I have a big question for this one. So I'm on the RxJS core team and I led the uh, the docs initiative. <laughs> okay, but one of the things that we've kept punting on is the localization efforts. And the reason is because you know, there's and Angular is the same way. So the way Angular does it is, you know, they have uh, docs, for example, in Chinese and a few other languages, um, but it's a completely separate. Um, it's completely separate. So every time there is an update on the Angular docs, they have to go and update the Chinese docs, for example, right? And we haven't really figured out how. I mean, how does that work? So when there is an update on the docs, how do how do the languages get updated? So that how do you know? I think the way that that the system is set up is that we have different repositories, like forks of the of the of the English language, and every every fork is maintained by at least I think two people per language, probably more. Mm -hmm. So, and there's also like a bunch of script. I haven't really looked into much detail here, but I think whenever there is any change, like this, this these forks would pull it from the English language and then translate it and update it, something along those lines. I I yeah haven't wrap my head around that, but it's, it's, I think it's um, um, from the view ecosystem, mm. actually. So um, we, we have seen it there first and seems to like scale and work for Vue.js. So I'm excited that it now works for React as well. And it's been, I think only one and a half month or like maybe two months since we have even started with that. And we have eight languages already finished that kind of shows us the power of the React ecosystem and the community as well. Yes, that's actually really, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, we have, uh, it's funny because we have the RxJS docs translated into Russian, but it's just sitting in a Google Doc somewhere, <laughs> just waiting for us to figure out how on earth we're going to do this at scale. Um, but I, I love that so much. I'll definitely be reaching out to y'all for uh, figuring that out. I like the idea of maybe, you know, like if, if, it, if the docs are updated, some sort of script goes and pings another repo or, you know, something like that to make sure that uh, everything stays in sync. Yeah, oh, I think all of the all of the documentation effort was actually uh, started or like at least coordinated by Ned Ellison. Mm -hmm. So I think she helped a lot with that, and it's it's incredible to see basically her work being pulled up like uh, by so many different developers for all of the different localizations. It's really cool. Yeah, you know, I think uh, people really underestimate the the um, impact that you can have. Right. She, I'm sure she was like, oh, I want to start this. And she's thinking, oh, it's going to take forever, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, one and a half months later, you have eight languages done. And so, you know, for, for anybody who's pausing on thinking about, hey, you know, maybe I need to get involved, but I don't have time for this. With the RxJS docs, uh, I don't have that much direct involvement right now. But all I needed to do was just 
set up a set up a repo and be like, okay, here you go. Here's a blank Angular app, you know, just like create React app, right? Um, and then the community kind of took itself on. So just that just that little spark of fire starting there is it's really helpful. Cool. Okay. Um, do you guys want to talk about one other topic? Maybe <laughs> we could call, we could talk about um, the um, maybe the uh, concurrent mode slash scheduler suspense yeah. stuff that's happening. Yeah. So like there's a lot of lot of stuff written in the air still because mm -hmm. it's not released yet. Um, it will probably be out there this year. I think I heard this from them ever recently. Um, I wrote a, a little blog post about this um, scheduling in React. Basically, the idea is that with concurrent mode, you have a lot of features that you can build on top of that. So not only like being able to pause during this like updating of your React application, it's not like, not really helpful. But if you combine that with other features like scheduling, where you can then prioritize different parts of your user interfaces to others, enables like a whole different level of optimization that the, that the framework can take over, which was previously done in user space and with different implementations and not really very well. So that's this, this example, I think, um, again, from um, quoting uh, Dan Abramov's uh, talk from last year at JSConf Iceland, where you have a text input. And while you type the text input, some charts underneath it, they were updated. So with a naive approach, with the current approach, um, React would do everything at the same time. So whenever you do a keystroke, it would not only update the input box, but would also render the charts in the same frame. So that, and, and as you like, as the charts gain more fidelity, it would slow down your system. So with with the scheduler, basically, you could separate those two things. You could say, okay, the input box itself is more important for the user because they are looking at this probably right now. They are making a keystroke and they want to see an update on the screen in real time. And with and the, the rest of the, the website, the charts, they could render a little bit later. Like if, if, it, if it takes 50 milliseconds for those to finish and you would still be able to see your keystroke 50 milliseconds earlier, that's a net win for the user interface. So I recommend if you're like interested into this, into uh, by checking out my latest blog post. It's actually, I think they're my first self-published blog post on my website. Um, I have like the same examples there as well. I think gives you an idea of, of the possibilities of where we're going. Yeah, it, it's a really fantastic post. And uh, I, I think it's also worth checking out to some of the talks that were given at uh, ReactConf as well. Uh, so Andrew Clark and Brian Vaughn gave a talk about concurrent React and um, in, in addition to that, too, uh, Sophie and Dan gave some talks about uh, hooks and some other parts of the uh, upcoming at the time uh, React API. Um, those are all really fantastic talks. Uh, they're very, they're super polished, and like you can tell, they like really worked really hard to make them uh, amazing talks. So uh, they're worth checking out. I think they speak volumes to um, the features that are coming in React uh, in a way that most people can understand. Um, so they're definitely worth checking out. Awesome. That's great. Um, you know, I, I wanted to actually bring something up because this is an initiative that I've been working on. So uh, we started this thing called Hire the Vampire. And for those of you listening out there, if you are open source maintainers of any libraries, any specifically any uh, UI libraries um, in React, definitely reach out to me and ping me because 
uh, we're working with a company called Apple Tools to get more women in tech. And the way the program works is uh, we, as this dot, actually provide mentorship to these women. And Apple Tools goes ahead and pays these women to do open source contributions. So I don't know if you guys remember when you know Travis CI and Circle CI were trying to gain traction. They would just submit PRs to say, "Hey, look at how how awesome your build is now. You obviously need Travis." Um, Apple Tools has provided is providing free licenses for open source libraries. So I mean, you can do this anyways. You don't need us if you don't want to. But if you do want to help out a woman in tech, you can just message me again. My Twitter is at Lady Elite, and um, we can you know try to get an underrepresented minority to actually do the work, give them an opportunity, give them a mentor to try to get into the React ecosystem. And I think, uh, you know, I love that you two, for, for example, are part of the React DOM team. That's awesome, great initiative, obviously. Um, but, you know, really, again, encouraging, don't underestimate the effort or the small, even small amount of effort that you can put in to really make a difference within the React ecosystem. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. And this was a really great conversation. This was a really amazing podcast, actually. I will be reaching out to you all because we have been holding off on doing React Contributor Days for quite some time. But sounds like, Nate and Philip, I'm going to rope you all in and we're going to get React Contributor Days going. <laughs> so, yeah, stay tuned for React Contributor Days. We should definitely schedule it and figure that out very, very, very soon. Um, once again, my name is Tracy. You can follow me on Twitter at Lady Leet. Uh, and uh, Nate, Nate, I actually gave your, I think I gave your, not your Twitter handle, but your Instagram handle. Oh, well, that, that'll just be pictures of my dog. Uh, let's see. Uh, my Twitter <laughs> handle is at Nate Hunzaker. That's at yeah. Nate, H-U-N-Z-A-K-E-R. And that's on Twitter. Yes. And Philip, you're so easy. It's just Philip Spies. So <laughs> perfect on that one. Um, and uh, join us next time for the next uh, This Dot. Uh, oh my gosh. What am I even saying? Modern Web Podcast. I have too many events going on, is quite honestly what is happening. Uh, thank you again, everybody, for listening. And thank we'll you see you next us. time. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by NativeScript. Want to use your web skills to build iOS and Android apps? Try NativeScript. NativeScript is an open source framework for building native mobile apps using technologies you already know, like JavaScript, Angular, or Vue. Learn more at nativescript.org slash modernweb.